0: Good morning and welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be learning together Vayechi Revi, the fourth Aliyah in Parsha's Vayechi. Our Aliyah deals with the brachas of the people, the children of Yaakov, Ruven, Shimon Levi, Huda, Zuvulun Yisachar, and Dan. Let's take a, a, a look at this and try to appreciate the brachas that he gives. They are obviously very complex brachas. There's a lot that is being said, a lot that is being um, expected to be understood. And so this obviously requires a much deeper Understanding every word, every letter, has depth upon depth of meanings. We're going to try to get a sense of the general flow of it. So we're told at the beginning, as introduction, in our aliyah, 18 psukim, not running from Perak Mem, Tes, Aleph to Yud, Ches. We're told the following, that Yaakov calls his children, he's, he asks them to gather together and he's going to tell them, what's going to happen to you at the end of days. He asks them to gather rounds and listen to him. And that's what he does. But then he goes on to give the bracha to Reuven first. And he says, "Reuven, you are my firstborn, first of my strength. But Pachas Kamaim because of your volatility like water, you will not get the extras. And because you involved yourself in the Yitzui or Lai the bed of your father, you will no longer get the extra. That's the first step of the bracha." Then, then the next one is to Shimon Alevi, and he claims there that they st- used stolen tools, generally understood to be the, cl- the tools of Asav, in his fight, which are physical tools of, um, of war. And he Yaakov Inu, separates himself from them. He says, I don't want to be involved in their plots. I don't want my name to be associated with them because they killed a man and wounded an ox in their anger. He curses their anger. Uh, and then he says, I will divide them up among Israel and spread them among Israel. Among Israel, very complex bracha. Um, then he turns to Yehuda and he tells Yehuda that you're going to be the one who's in charge of your of your brothers. You're going to, everybody else is going to bow down to you. You're going to bring submission to the enemies. The scepter will not leave Yehuda. Says the. Um, so, so, so says the Torah says Yaakov inu to his children, and he gives some very beautiful descriptions of what seems to be agricultural descriptions of Yehuda, about how there will be so much wine, so much milk in his in in his portion that uh, there, that that there'll be this great amount amount of success in those realms in his sections. Then we hear about Zavolun, who's told that he dwells by the coast of the sea, and he he is, he reaches all the way up to Sidon, which is in Phoenicia today, in Le, what's called Lebanon. And you would hear that right, the the picture, the image that Yisachar is associated with is a chara, chamor gorem, a strong-boned donkey, that crouching between the borders, um, finding the place where there is um, a menuchah, where there is um, a, a, a way to um, have some sort of pleasantness, some sort of rest, and <clears throat> continues to be a bearer of the tax or the weight. And finally, we hear about Dan. Dan is compared to a shififon al orach a or a nachash alay derech, a viper, a serpent upon the road, that bites the horse's heel and the rider falls backwards. In your salvation, I hope, oh, Hashem. Very, very complex aliyah. Obviously, there's so much um, imagery, so much poetry, so much depth, Kabbalistic understanding, so it's not easy just to summarize, but a few basic points to ponder. The most basic question we can ask on our, our aliyah is that Yaakovinu promises his sons that he's going to tell them what's going to happen at the end of days, and yet he doesn't seem to actually tell them. Unless we miss it, he doesn't seem to describe it. So what actually happened? Rashi says he had wanted to tell the children what was going to happen at the end of days, but it was taken away from him, which is why he does not continue to give it. So that secret was not being revealed. The Gemarim Pesachim actually goes a little further to describe that as he was about to tell the Aharis at the end of days, and he felt that he didn't have access to it anymore, he got very concerned. He said that perhaps, I, the reason why I can't tell it is because there is a lack of worthiness among my children. Maybe one of my children is, um, is the reason why I cannot reveal this. And he, yeah, and he was very concerned about that because he worked so hard in his life to ensure that all his children are on the same page. His children then turned to him and said, Shema Yisrael HaShem Anakana Hashem el-khod. They turned to him, is- Yisrael was... His name, listen O Israel, just as Hashem is one in your heart, He is one in our hearts, assuring Him that they were on the same page as Him. At which point Yaakov, in relief, says, Baruch Hashem, Kavod, Malchus, And He then responds in a way that He is relieved that they are on the same page. That his bed is a truly full. That all of the uh, his boys are, are within the fold. And the Gemara then says because Benu says Baruch Shem Kavod Malchus in response to Shema Yisrael, Israel when Moshe Rabbeinu writes the Torah in Sefer Devarim, Parshas Vaeschanan, he says Shema Israel does not mention Baruch Shem Kavod Malchus That's the reason why in davening that we whisper it because Moshe Rabbeinu did not say it, Yaakovinu did say it, so we say it in deference to Yaakov. We don't say it loud in deference to Moshe Rabbeinu. Which is an interesting discussion, discussion that comes out of the Gomorrah in involvement and Vavim and Anav. However, that Bible says another reason as to why it is that he did not reveal the end of days. Number one is, he suggests, is that Yaakov knew that there were some of the sons who were going to get rebuke, and they knew they were going to get rebuke, and they were concerned about that. So they were trying to avoid having a direct conversation with him because they knew they would be getting rebuke. So he tries to bring them in by saying, I'll tell you what's about to happen at the end of days." That takes their guard down, they come close, and then he gives them the rebuke they need to have. Then another possibility, a second possibility that Barbara now suggests, is that the Barachos themselves, if we were to really truly unpack these blessings, that we hear of his 12 children, his 12 sons, we would understand what the Akhir Sayyamah means. This is not just a description of what we'll call physical blessings, this is in fact a description of the end of days as well, which is to be expressed in this way as well. Now, let's go to each of the brachas and ask one or two questions. In the bracha of Ruvain, we're told that his pachas kamaim is volatile like water. Um, so, what was that volatility and what was the punishment? Rashi says it's his impetuousness and his anger. Because when Yaakov lost Rachel, the, uh, the mother of Yosef, he moved his bed. He had his relationship with Bilha, who was the maidservant of Rachel, in a certain sense, in a certain degree of nostalgia after Rachel. Whereas Ruven felt this was inappropriate because his mother, Leah, should really have had deserved the attention at this point in time, and he moved the bed of his father. That being the case, he was considered he, he was he was criticized for his impetuousness. This is not a department that you belong in, Ruven. It's not appropriate for you to make such decisions, and that's the Pachas Kamai. Rashi says, and therefore, because of this, you lost the things that you may have deserved as a firstborn, which include the Kuhuna, the priesthood, which went to Levi, the Malchus, which was the, the, the kingship which went to Yehuda and the double portion which went to Yosef. So three of the aspects of what it meant to be a fir- firstborn were lost to Reuven and went to three of the other brothers. Orachim HaKadosh points out a very powerful spiritual idea and that is he talks about this numerous times in the Torah that the thoughts parents have at the times of conception of a child are very important into the actual um, spiritual makeup of that child as well. And the Orachim HaKadosh pointed out that because when Yaakov Avinu had his first child, the first conception was with Leah, and he expected it to be Rachel, that means his intent and the action were actually disjoint. That, that means to say he thought it was Rachel, it was really Leah, and therefore there was a certain element of Bilbul Yitzu'im, which means that Reuven was born through confusion, and that's part of what is being described over here, is that you, um, the are lie? that what Yaakov is saying is not just your actions, your actions are reflecting the very conception itself. Very, very powerful idea, very scary idea, as the responsibility parents have to think, even in the earliest moments of the creation. Um, another question is, is, now as we move on to the next of the two children, Shimon and Navi, we're told that they are, he, they, are, they are cursed because of their anger. What is this referring to? Rashi says it could be referring to the destroying of the city of Shechem. So they killed this whole city, they wiped it out against his will, they they were the the very strong and uh, powerful leaders of that episode. However, there's another possibility reading over here, and that is is that uh, they they uprooted or they hurt a ox could be referring metaphorically to Yosef, who is called the Shor. Is is one of the um, images that's associated with Yosef is the ox, which means that it could be that perhaps at least via innuendo, Yaakovinu knows about the sale of Yosef and he's criticizing them on both those actions, which are extreme courses of action. What was their punishment? So we hear a few things. One is that Yaakov in retracts his name. He doesn't want... He, so he removes his name, so we'll see later on in the Torah when the episode of Zimri who comes from the tribe of Shimon and Cosby happens, yet Zimri is not related, he's not attributed to Yaakov. He is, uh, <clears throat> he is sort of shy of being connected to Yaakov. By Korach, Korach who comes from Levi, he's also not related back. He's related all the way to the generations, to, to, to Levi, but not to Yaakov, because his name is not associated with two of those episodes, which reflect a certain degree of impetuousness, a certain degree of volatility and passion, which is expressed in both the Zimri episode and the Korach episode, and Yaakov says, I don't want to be associated with this type of characteristic as well. As well, the Rashi points out that they also lost the inheritance in Israel, which is the words, and that's why Shimon didn't really have a full portion. He was really subsumed in, in the, the portion of Yehuda. And Lady only had cities but did not get fields and territory like all the rest of the tribes as well as an expression of this curse slash blessing. Now, move on to Yehuda. One of the prophecies we hear about Yehuda, the many things we hear about Yehuda, is Loyosura Shevet Yehuda, The rod or the scepter will not leave Yehuda. This is seen to be a prophetic idea about the Yehuda having kingship. In fact, according to many fortune the Ramban goes to great uh, great lengths to describe this is a command. There is it, once the scepter arrives in the the, the the hands of Yehuda, it cannot leave. The Ramban asks a discussion. It will is that possible Then how could the first king have been Shaul from the tribe of Benjamin? So one possibility is, is that that this rule of lo yosur shevet mi Yehuda only begins once it arrives at the, in the place of Yehuda after. Yehudah already, after it has, it has started with Yehudah, then it cannot leave. But beforehand, the possibility exists that it can. The Ramban makes another suggestion that perhaps Shaul's monarchy was ill-fated from the start because of this rule as well. The Ramban goes so far as to suggest that this is the reason why the Khashwanaim dynasty, although the champions of the Hanuki era, actually had a very acrimonious and difficult end and were all murdered in the end of the day by Herod. Um, so the reason why they had this terrible, ignoble downfall is because of the fact that they were from the tribe of Levi, they were Kohanim, and they did not deserve to be kings. They should not have placed themselves in monarchy as a function of this Pasuk in the blessing of Yehudah. Move on to Zuvulun. It says that Zuvulun dwells by the sea coast. So wh- wh- why are we hearing about this? It now says <coughs> that Yaakov has already explained why the first three sons, Ruvan, Shimon, and Levi are not fitting to be leaders, not to, to be the king. Now we're explaining why the last two of Leia are also not, that's Zuvulun and Yisachar. Zvulun is a businessman and trader, not a king material, and Yisachar was a scholar. That being the case, that's why they are disqualified from leadership, says that Now, now. Now, basic question, was Zuvulun actually really by the sea? Truth be told, if you look at the borders as are described in Sefer-Yoshua, none of the cities that are described there are actually adjacent to the sea at, at all. So it becomes a little complicated as to what that means so does it doesn't mean to that it is in the direction of the seashore um it is a possibility that some scholars suggest as well the the seems to in- indicate that this actually is, is literal he really had cities on the on the on the, the seashore and um, that's why it made it easier for him to trade he was up the coast of phoenicia um, rabbi Arya kaplan suggests that even though the cities listed in the yoshua were um were not listed along the sea coast, but he had an arm, so to speak, a, a string of land along the coast, which belonged to Zevolun, not Asher, even though Asher was along the coast as well. It's worthwhile understanding the layout of the land and the territory, as is described over here. Now why is it that, that Yisachar is described as a load-bearing donkey, explains the Mawin, because he does less travel, he's more staid than Zvulun. Donkeys don't do long trips, they are strong animals, but for short distances. The Bechor Shor says that they were farmers, not businessmen, Uh, a a donkey is a domesticated animal, it's used on the farm, so he's not going abroad to sell wares, he's producing wares, that's who Yisachar is. Rashi says it's metaphoric for the bearing of the load of Torah. Finally, the Haim Akdovah says, If you look at Sefer Shaftim, you'll notice that Yisachar is one of those tribes that devorah criticizes for not sending troops to battle. And that's because of the scholarly nature of the family. And they are therefore not producers of soldiers. They are not the greatest of physique. They are more um, uh, 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 equipped for learning and ideas. And um, finally, when we move to the bracha of Don, we hear that Don is compared to a, a viper or a serpent. First, why is Don over here? So the Torah explains that this is going in age order, except um, in the sense that it goes all the children of Leah, but really actually Dan belongs beforehand, because he was born before Sulan and in Zaha. The reason why he's placed over here is because if you look at the way that, that the inheritance is arranged in the land of Israel, actually um, it goes in that order, so it's one tribe next to the next next to the other, so it goes Zul and, Yisachar and then done and that's why it's arranged as the brachos in such a way so jacob is prophetically arranging them in the future division of the land why is done compared to vipers so the Shor is because it explains that he was in the, the traveling in the desert he was the last tribe to travel so he was the vanguard and in the land of israel he was the northernmost tribe by the area of the golan heights and that means to say that being as he was this uh, this vanguard he was this this, this border um, patrol, he had more responsibility against the enemies, that's why he's a snake on the on the road, the road being the road to Israel. Rashi says it refers to Shimshon HaGibor, Shimshon is going to be a Shofet, he's going to be a judge of Israel, and he's going to, um, in his death, even bring down many more plishtim Philistines than even in his life, as he collapses the building upon himself, that being the metaphor of the snake biting the rider, getting killed, but killing the rider as well as the horse when collapsing. The Lishua Sva of Rabdesta has an essay on this topic of Shimshon in the Chelek Beis, in the second well, part of Mihtav Melia where he explains that this is the hope that even some of the darkest of characters, the vigilantes of history, Shimshon was not a simple character, there is a deeper idea of redeeming the good in very evil places, which is what Shimshon was attempting to do. With this we close the bracha, the brachos of the first few shot In the meantime, have a wonderful and meaningful day.